Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hi, global investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your U.S. real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at 6% with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Carl Supercrop. Carl's a principal at Trident Multifamily and is a full-time real estate syndicator. Originally from South Africa, he immigrated to the U.S. in 2015 after a successful sale of his electronic security business. Carl has been investing in multifamily real estate since 2014, and with his partners at Trident Multifamily, sponsored the acquisition of three assets in 2019. So thanks so much for being on the show. Great. Thanks, Charles. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah. So you're a real estate agent as well. So what what was your professional background prior to starting with your partners, uh, Trident Multifamily? So yeah, let's say I've I've got my license. I've never practiced. Uh, (laughs) It it was kind of uh, Wales. Uh, heading uh, in terms of the residential and uh, acquiring assets, but I've never really uh, practiced for anyone but myself. Um, so that was not my profession prior to to syndicating. Um, I was still in security and uh, doing security for apartment um, communities. So in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, doing security evaluations, looking at all um, electron, you know, um, cameras, access mm-hmm. control. Uh, it, it was really just a transfer of my knowledge from my business in South Africa um, to now the industry where I wanted to be, uh, uh, you know, spending my time. So it was, a, 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 I guess, a soft entry uh, with the skills I already had into the, the industry I uh, wanted to be in. So it helped me get into some good, uh, good connections and, and good networks um, here in the U.S. Why did you choose multifamily? as your uh is your investment field call when you start it for a couple reasons um i love business i love businesses and i love real estate um and to me commercial real estate uh, and multifamily it's it's a really simple business which you can understand and you can directly influence um how it performs mm-hmm. so uh you know dabbled in the stock market, you know, trading up, doing all those types of things. And at the end of the day, you know, there's the, the education and the time required to really understand, like, you know, investing in Apple today, man, I got no idea what's going on in Apple. I would have to be, you know, looking up. It's just, it, it's very onerous where um, real estate to me is a, a much more simple model where you can affect change and, uh, uh get an easier um, handle of, of what's going on and, and 
that type of thing. So yeah, you definitely have much more control over it than investing in many other asset classes. Uh, most of them are the ones that are kind of like pushed on us, I guess, especially if you have a job, you didn't have a job. So it's not really pushed on you with the 401k and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, so what types of assets and markets does your does Trident focus on? Where are you guys looking? So we are looking Texas, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma. So uh, a, a, that's our sort of footprint. Uh, I'm in DFW. Uh, Mike Van, our partner, is in Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And Rodney Miller is in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So with our geographical layout, we can kind of service all of those areas pretty well. And in terms of what we're looking for is cash flowing assets. Um, that's really what, what we're looking for. Um, in properties in all of those markets, which make it um, a little tough in DFW at the moment. Uh, we're definitely yeah. playing in the in the C class uh, um, assets, so you know that is just super super competitive. And to find anything that cash flows in year one, that's part of that needs to cash flow in year one, um, especially in DFW is just extremely tough. But you know, across our footprint, we we've managed to find quite a few markets where. Uh, we can get really good cash flow um, from our assets. So, what is um, when you're when you're uh, evaluating a deal? What are the main factors? Obviously, you said cash flow in the first year. What are the other factors that you that have to you have to check off before you guys actually mm-hmm. bring a property to a letter of intent stage? Um, we have a lot. <laughs> a lot is verifying um, how comfortable we are in terms of uh, market comps mm. and, and for me is, is the, the, just the income, you know, obviously 90% of these properties, we, we get a, a, a broker's offering memorandum and they have a wonderful pro forma with, with the income growth just being astronomical. And it's like, yeah, this deal cash flows, you know, you, you wanted a cash flow deal. Uh, here you go. And uh, you know, for me, it's not realistic for a deal to, uh, uh, increase income by 20% in, in what, you know, in the first year, like that's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So typically we, we want assets that will go into agency debt or at least qualify for agency debt. So our last deal we did, it could have qualified for agency debt. It had phenomenal cash flow. Can you explain it? Can you explain agency debt? Sorry. Okay. So, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac typically want to see, um, a trailing three-month occupancy of more than 90%. Um, and, and the property needs to be stabilized um, without too much deferred maintenance um, in, in you know, terms of the mechanics, the roof. The, it, it needs to be a, a not distressed property. Right. Uh, and that occupancy needs to be um, above the 90% mark. Um, what we look for is a deal that is there. So operationally it's performing well. Um, and then we can decide what we want to do. So our last deal, uh, we could have gone the agency route, but we've decided to do a bigger rehab on the property mm-hmm. and we wanted to finance in a lot of that rehab. So we did go with a bridge loan on that mm-hmm. deal. Um, but uh, the principle was that the, the, the asset was performing well. You know, there's there's a couple of times where people use different debt, um, bridge debt. We've used it in this case, 
because we wanted the capex dollars rather than we needed to use it because the property was distressed and at low occupancy and mm -hmm. no one else would give us money that that that, that was that's usually that's usually the story with the bridge though correct correct so we we want to make sure that we've got well uh, occupied properties in, in areas that have got great demand Right. And just so listeners, for the, the agency debt, so those Fannie and Freddie, they're government, they're government agencies, considered agency debt, and they're backed by the U.S. government, and they're very favorable uh, interest rates. So it's kind of the gold standard for multifamily, now they're into other classes, but for, a, for any type of commercial uh, developer or rehab or syndicator, they want to secure that at some point. And um, when Carl's talking about doing bridge loan, when we're talking bridge debt, it's going to be a variable and um, they, can, they can reset at different times. So it's a little riskier, but it allows you, as they were saying, they're going to do a much more uh, value add. They're putting more money into it. They're, they're making a, a more aggressive of a rehab on it and that will greatly increase the, the property. And then of course, you guys will then refinance out, I imagine, or sell it and you'll go to an agency debt loan. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So you guys are very conservative. I mean, I speak to syndicators all the time and sometimes they're not anywhere near as conservative as you guys are when you're underwriting and when you're, uh, you're, you're looking at deals. Um, how does your company protect against the slowdown? So if there's a pullback in the economy, a pullback in the market of properties in. Mm -hmm. So typically look for, for fixed rate financing. So I'll just stay with <laughs> coming back to that bridge. What we did on that is we've purchased a cap which is pretty much a, almost like an insurance. You pay up front and it, it caps what that variable interest rate would, the, the mm -hmm. upper end of where it would, would go. So that was one thing we did there. The other thing, again, is, is finding great demand and um, cash flow. So that's mm -hmm. why, again, thinking about a business, and I, again, I love business, is a business cannot operate without cash. Right. So a lot of people or a lot of people that I'm seeing are saying, I, don't worry about the cash flow. I just want appreciation. Just, just whatever's going to give me the biggest return in three years, you know, if it's all on the back end, I'm okay with that. And to me, that's scary because if it's not cash flowing, it means that, you know, the, the, during that three year window, um, the property doesn't have excess cash. Mm -hmm. uh, so when things slow down, resets, whatever we want to call, um, if there's less income coming into the property, there's already, there's no buffer. So all of a sudden we don't have, we've got less income. Um, there's no cash flow. Who's, you know, that's got to come from somewhere, right? The property's right. still got to operate. So for us, we let, we make sure we've got properties that on year one, we are as close to a minimum of 10% cash on cash mm -hmm. uh, and, and ideally higher than 10% in year one so that, uh, and typically it should improve, you know, as we progress, but we like to see a, a double digit cash flow from year one. So that way, at least if, if things calm down or we've got that buffer that um, the business can still sustain itself because, you know, no business cannot, can operate without cash flow. You know, if, if you've got no cash in the bank and these, these are living businesses, um, you know, you've already, taking a big line of credit in terms of the mortgage, um, you, you can't work a deal with a, a, a local bank and, and get more uh, operational capital. It, it just, it starts getting messy. 
So, so we like to make sure that our deals have got a good, strong cash flow base to them. And that way, as things um, uh, it need to be, uh, you know, um, things slow down, we've at least can take, uh, we, we've got some buffer on that cash flow. Yeah. No, that's great. It's also great with having the cap on the, uh, the bridge loan. That was something I should have mentioned as well. It's something you can purchase. So that's a way of really hedging risk um, over the next, I guess, two or three years, which is a normal rehab process, period. Um, so what is, what is your role at uh, Trident? Are you in acquisitions underwriting? Is that correct? Yes. So acquisitions underwriting is pretty much what I do. I've got three screens set up here and I just a uh, bunch of calculators that you're uh, uh, you know, running the numbers. Uh, and then moving forward in terms of asset management, I, I handle most of the operations. Um, Mike handles most of the capex. So, you know, on this mm-hmm. bigger project we're working right now, that part of the the asset management kind of falls under yeah. um, Mike. But in terms of operations, uh, you know, I, I say I'm the one who's put the numbers together. Yeah. I need to be accountable uh, for the property's performance and make sure my managers know that they're accountable to me to to these numbers and you know if we need to change something we need to react you know just constantly having a look at the the effects of uh changing uh, parameters in terms of the operations so uh, operations uh and, and asset management <laughs> and the operations uh, and the acquisition yeah because the asset management portion that that whole project management portion in the beginning when you're doing the capex is very time intensive because obviously you're not, and a lot of times you might not be ending with the right, the contractor that you thought when you started and stuff like that. And it's very, you're going to the site, you're making sure stuff's done. You're looking over the shoulder of the property manager, um, making sure that the rehab is uh, going, you know what I mean? You're doing enough units, but not too many units. And mm-hmm. it's a very kind of scientific process for keeping it uh, money coming in, but also the units being turned over and re-rented. So hundred percent. It is a, and that's actually what we're sitting down yesterday is, is looking at the turn of all the units and coordinating, uh, you know, lease expirations with, you know, offering a couple of residents to mm. stay month to month because we're not ready to, to rehab their unit yeah. yet. All the contractors are, you know, not lined up. So it is a, it is a real, um, that, that lo- I want to say it's a logistical nightmare yeah. <laughs> coordinating move outs, move ins. Re- yeah. So, it, yeah. Like, and then trying to like, as you're doing it now, it's smart, like staggering the leases with the month, the month that gives people. So it's weird dates when they're moving out different months than what they were before. So you don't have 10% of your people coming up on February 1st or March 1st, and then you have to do something now. But um, how did you find the rest of your, your current, your current business partners? So um, we joined a mentor program here in DFW. And uh, luckily enough, we were uh, uh, in that program together. Um, but it really, it wasn't, it, it was through the program, but it was, it was through a networking event, mm. uh, unaffiliated to the program. Um, so we, we, we had kind of touched base, but we hadn't really um, dug into, you know, getting serious. And, um, you know, just a, a, a meetup where we learned more about each other and, you know, I guess we'd been chatting for four or five hours and all of a sudden we thought, you know, we're all kind of looking for the same thing. Um, when we, when we dig dug down and we thought, you know, you're, you're in Springfield, uh, you know, I'm in DFW, you're in Oklahoma city. Like this is a pretty good 
ground that we're covering because uh, I see a lot of people partnering with people in their city, which is phenomenal and great. And, you know, it, it's good team, but sometimes it, it, it kind of limits your scope a bit um, in terms of, well, let's look at a new market. You know, these are with these properties, you really can uh, justify investing, not where you live. Um, and for us, we did, when we put that piece together, I thought, man, you know, Mike's got a really good handle on Arkansas and um, Kansas City. So, you know, th those are some, some great markets um, that we really have, you know, it's a two-hour drive for Mike. Um, yeah. We really like Tulsa um, for a number of reasons. And, okay, it's a, a longer drive for me, but that's about two and a half from Mike and, and one and a half from Rodney. Um, Wichita, Kansas, we've been, been looking at, at a few assets up there and um, really interested in Wichita. Uh, and that's about an hour and a half. Rodney lives on the north side of Oklahoma City. So it's about an hour and a half, two hour drive for him. So we're really able to um, cover a lot of ground. And, and that's where we, uh, we thought, you know, we were all looking for the same thing. And uh, uh, we just clicked well, but yeah, through, through networking and, and spending time with people, mm -hmm. not expecting um, to find a, you know, I don't think any one of us came into expecting to uh, aggressively find a partnership. Mm -hmm. We were just, you know, uh, yeah. our agenda was to learn more about people before who can I partner with? And, and we learn about each other. And it was thereafter that I thought, man, this would be a good, good group to partnership. So, Found a partnership by not looking for partners. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Because uh, we met at a networking event, and then we've seen each other at obviously we see each other two or three times a year at different networking events. Yeah. And um, what when you're speaking to new investors, and they're probably where you were years back, how do you explain to them? Um, what do you suggest them to do when they're looking for partners? Uh, what do you suggest them to do that maybe you guys did differently, or you would change if you went back? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you've got to get out there. You've got to network and you've got to um, tastefully be honest with your skill set. Um, and, you know, just be, you've got to be able to share what, what you're good at and what you, what you can bring to the table in, in a realistic fashion, you know, because ultimately it's all going to come out in the wash. Um, but you, you just need to be, you know, real honest with people. This is where I'm at. This is what I want to do. Um, but let people know that. And, and the more people you, you know, uh, or the more people you let know about that, the sooner or later, people, you know, prior to, to Rodney and I uh, and, and Mike connecting, I had a bunch of people saying, you know what, I know someone who you should connect with. And, and I'd had quite a few people that I, I met with and, and got connected with. Um, so, you know, the partners I ended up with were not, you know, the, the first people that I connected with, mm -hmm. I had connected with quite a yeah. few others and it just, it didn't, um, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I'd kind of yeah. been through dated a bit, um, before I, I kind of figured out, you know, th this one feels right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just tastefully share with, with everyone, what you want to do, what your objective is and what you can bring to the table. And, uh, uh, you know, th there's more people than you know will start coming out the woodwork. 
Yeah, for sure. No, I definitely agree with that being upfront with what your skill set is and what you're lacking is probably mm-hmm. another good part too, because mm-hmm. some people are people, people, and some people are numbers. And uh, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, you got to kind of figure out the rest of your team. So mm-hmm. what mistakes, because we were talking earlier about deals in DFW, which is Dallas, what mm-hmm. mistakes uh, do you see other syndicators or real estate investors right now making in our current market cycle? Mm-hmm. Um, other than picking up those deals that don't cash flow for a year. <laughs> <laughs> so the part I, I haven't uh, revealed yet is, is kind of my ace in the hole is uh, my wife has been in the industry for 20 years. She's a, she's a regional property manager over oh. 2,500 units for a, a, a big, one of the biggest uh, management companies in, in the U S mm-hmm. so operationally, I've got a lot of assistance and help into, uh, you know, how, how properties operate. She, she operated to through 2008. She was actually in a, in a lease up property in 2008. Um, so, so she's been operationally through, through a storm. Um, and the biggest thing that I see people and just my opinion, I may be right or wrong or in, indifferent. Uh, the biggest thing, which, turns me off is when I see how much people or syndicators are projecting growth in income. You know, I've seen a, quite a few deals lately where people are, are projecting a, a, a gross income growth of, you know, 15, 20% in year one. And, and I, you know, every yeah. store, every property has a story, so it may or may not be, possible uh, but I think people are being very aggressive with with how much that they can increase uh, just total income of the property be it through rents or be it through other income I feel that uh, the the um, projections of how much income or how much how much more income you can bring mm-hmm. into the property I think are, are very rosy um, given this this time period in we need to be I think pretty conservative with, with how much we think we can increase total income into a property. Yeah. No, we see it as well in Florida as well, because we have like Tampa, for instance, seven, or 8% rent increases last year um, over the whole MSA and people, we see documents going out and PPMs and stuff like this. And they're saying 15% in one year, just like you're saying, and, um, so that's not only, you know, you're, you're telling, you know, it, it's completely, it's so aggressive where you're saying that you're gonna be able that much value into a property where you're mm-hmm. able to add 15% and where mm-hmm. so many Americans, almost 80% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck. That's mm-hmm. someone that's going a thousand dollars now to almost 1200, right? 1150 mm-hmm. and even higher in certain income in one in 12 months, which mm-hmm. is just I mean, you're going to have turnover of every tenant you have in that property, even if you've uh, renovated their units, they're not even going to stay. So you, yeah. know, you have to look for a whole new client base, whole new tenant base. And um, that's not that easy. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, realistically, I'm yet to find anyone who's taken over a property in the first three months have gone like a dream. And, <laughs> you know, the, the, the T3 collections from prior to buying it have just continued to escalate month over month in the first 90 days. You know, the first 90 days are always a discovery period. Oh, yeah. um, you know, normally, you know, if you've done the due diligence, it's, it's pretty manageable. Um, but needless to say, you cannot 
put your foot down. Most times it's very difficult to put your foot down in the first 90 days and start running up the, those increases. So now yeah. we're looking at a 15% increase crammed into nine months. Um, you know, is realistically what the, what the time frames start looking like. And it's just, I don't think it's, it's um, feasible, but again, every property has a story. So. Yeah, for sure. And it's also that in that first 90 days, like you were saying, that's when you're finding out um, what the actual, because, you know, usually you get your leases created and stuff like this before you, before you purchase a property. So the property manager is for people who are listening is uh, giving you a grade just like you would in school of how good the tenant is. And that's great. You have an idea of what you're going into, but then it's also, it doesn't shake. You don't know until you buy it and you find out that this person's been paying late uh, later than they have. They haven't been paying a late fee. So you're like, well, now I have to add that to who's getting evicted. So you can't shake it too much because you can't have, you know what I mean? You a might mass say exodus and the next minute you've dropped 20%. And <laughs> right. And right yeah. at that point, that first 30, 90 days, you're just trying yeah. to keep everything manageable as you start uh, systematically renovating units and doing work that has to most likely be done to the property that's mm -hmm. been uh, ne neglected, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the main stuff that you're not getting rent increases on, uh, you know, roof, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the parking lot, stuff like this that you're not, you can't raise people's rent because their roof isn't leaking. So, I mean, yes. um, stuff <laughs> like this, but uh, well, it's very interesting. Well, thank you very much for being on. How can people learn more about you and your business? Yeah. So um, look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, tridentmultifamily.com. Uh, my email is carl at tridentmultifamily.com. Um, but yeah, connect with me on any social media or Facebook and LinkedIn um, or our website. We've got interested investors go there and, and uh, we'll, we'll pick you up uh, as that comes through. Yeah, it's got all the, uh, so if you go to the website, it also has the whole process of how they do it. So it's very interesting, which I don't see on too many websites. So I will put all those links, uh, Carl's links, and also Trident Multifamilies uh, links and emails in the bottom in the notes. And um, I'll look forward to, uh, I'm going to see you next month at a yeah. conference in Colorado. So I'll look forward to seeing you there. And thanks That'll again be for being on. Thank you very much, Charles. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi guys, this is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.